0: We're going to be in Genesis chapter 40, and we're going to be there most of the time. There's going to be a few scriptures we will jump off to in the New Testament and things. But, but I did get a little information from last week as I was doing my research for this week. I found out that, and it, it makes sense, but I, did, I just didn't read ahead far enough to get Joseph's age and things. And you find out that he was serving in Potiphar's house for 11 years. 11 years. It wasn't just something that was going on with Potiphar's wife one summer. It could have been or not. It could have been that whole time. It could have been right when he got there, and then maybe he came of age five years into it, and now there's this ushering of lust for Joseph. But he gets cast into prison. He's there for a time, and then he goes to the chapter, and then two years later is when he goes into Pharaoh's service. So there's still a time of trial that he has to go through. And I was looking at this chapter, and I was trying to figure out the theme of the chapter. And it's like, why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, it's in there a little bit. But it's more about the timing of God and God's will, right? Because we understand or we don't understand what's going on in this passage and that's interesting because some of the things that come at face value but other things we don't see until the next part of the story right and that's some of the things that we don't understand and Joseph certainly wouldn't understand while he's like why did any day now any day now he's going to say something and I'm going to be out of here I got a good case I built my case and it doesn't happen it never happens for two more years and it's interesting so There's 11 years that Joseph serves in Potiphar's house, and this has prepared him to be a steward for a much larger case, right? So he learns how to do it through taking care of Potiphar's house, which would probably be a pretty large house. It would be very Egyptian, so he'd have to know all those um, traditions and things that go along with Egypt. And then he was able to put this over the whole of Egypt, And work it that way. So all of Egypt will be under his care soon, but it's not yet. There's one major milestone that he has to endure for his training, and it's prison. It's an injustice. And I got done with studying the scripture, and I thought to myself, you ever wonder? I mean, he was put in charge of the whole prison, right? He probably goes back to that prison, and he's like, well, I know you're not crooked, I know you're not, and I know you, you are, so you're, you're going to serve in this area, you're going to serve in this area, you're going to serve in this area, and you're going to hang, <laughs> right? Because he would know, he would know exactly who was guilty, who wasn't, and uh, there would be justice be able to rendered right away in that situation. But Joseph's justice had to wait. And that is hard to be in the waiting sometimes. So Joseph remains faithful, and therefore God shows up. He remains faithful, and many unique things happen. And we're going to read about some of those that happened. Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. It says, sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. The Pharaoh became angry with those two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who, to look, and Joseph looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they were both looking upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one could tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Now, is Joseph saying that he's God because he was able to interpret dreams? No, that's not what he says at all. And you'll see that through his character throughout Uh, The rest of the story of Joseph He is saying that If this dream is going to be interpreted It's going to be because God has interpreted it And then it's given to one of his people Joseph's like I happen to be one of those people So we'll see what happens Tell me your dream It's probably more like that Right? So we have God's will God's will will show up in these dreams in two different people, right? We have the baker and we have the cupbearer. Everything goes well for the cupbearer, not so much for the baker, right? If you think about those two people, those would be two important people in Pharaoh's life because both of them would have opportunity to kill the Pharaoh through his food and drink, right? The cupbearer could spike his drink with poison right before he he. Uh, he could taste it, says it's fine, spike it, and give it to the pharaoh, right? So it's somebody you want to trust. The baker could do likewise, spike his food, uh, feed it to everybody, and it's somebody else that you want to trust as well. And so I don't know how they offended him. It could have been something like that. I don't know. Um, one of them obviously probably did something, obviously, probably. Yeah, that's so certain there. In, in, the, in the baker, And he was either found out or he just offended the pharaoh. We don't really know. The cupbearer was put back at his station and was so elated, he forgot everything. I tell you what, friends. Joseph was put in this place on God's timing to do the Lord's work. He was put in a place that we wouldn't think, oh, boy, this is great. He is all by himself. He doesn't have anybody to take care of him. In ancient times, most often, if you don't have somebody to bring you food, you are in trouble because nobody's going to take care of you. And he finds himself at the mercy of the jailer if he is going to be, um, make it. The jailer finds a competent young man in Joseph, and is able to put him in charge. Joseph is able to, room, to earn room and board in a sense, right? Uh, I think he probably had board, no problem. But the, the, or the room, no problem, is the board that he had to worry, worry about, right? So think about this timing, though. Think about how we come into this place what if joseph was never put in prison what if joseph never ran across these higher ups the whole it'd be catastrophic for the whole known world right the the famine didn't just happen in egypt it happened everywhere so much so that his brothers eventually will come down and visit him in egypt it was catastrophic and he if God didn't get his guy in the right position, it would be devastating. Now, it it puts Joseph in a rough spot, doesn't it? The guy's been thrown into a well. He's been sold into slavery. He's been shipped down to Egypt. He gets put into a place of high position. But that might be worse because now he gets thrown into prison. How am I going to get home? It was an unjust cause. I'm never going to get back. What am I going to do? Why am I here? Why am I going to do this? So discerning God's will is something that we can discover when we are walking in obedience with the Lord. It is so much easier to figure out God's plan for your life when you are walking with God. But we can see in this case that Joseph was walking with God. And yet he, he doesn't know God's will. He can't figure it out. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do for two years. It's a long time, right? That's half a high school, right? It's half a junior high or the middle school anyway. But all this time, Joseph keeps his character In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Wow. Let's read that again. Do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When we accept Christ into our life, when we say, God, I surrender to your son, Jesus Christ, things start to happen. Things start to happen. We, right there, begin to have faith, right? That's the beginning of our faith walk. There is a beginning, and that is it. When you declare your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, you start walking in faith. I'm surrendering my life now, everything I own, all my family, my job, my possessions, my life itself, my health. It all belongs to you, Lord. I am now a steward of this which means I'm your servant to take care of the things that you've given me. And he's like, since you've given that all to me, I'm going to give it all back to you to take care of. And not for your glory, Shane, or any one of you, or White Rose. It is for my glory. So when payment is due, maybe it's a public payment of praise, Who are you going to give the glory to? We'll talk about that a little bit later, right? We're going to give it to the Lord. So it's a changing of your thoughts. How How does that change? It changes from the renewing of your mind. When you start and you bring the Holy Spirit into your life, there's something that clicks in your conscience that starts to tell you, hey, you're not supposed to do that anymore. You're not supposed to act like that. Sawyer's friends calling me, so I got it linked to Sawyer's phone. I I was tempted to answer it, but it'd mortify him, so I won't. So what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? We have to discern God's will in our life, right? And that's one of the most difficult things to do: is discerning God's will. So what are some of the ways we can do that? I'm going to give you four steps, and then I'm going to give you three steps. Okay, And the first point, I'm going to give you four steps. first one is we're going to write a blank check with our life. We're going to say, God, I'm going to surrender to you. And as I just mentioned, that's the beginning of your faith walk. If you do not surrender, you are not a child of God. Okay? I can say that definitively. If you do not surrender to the Lord, you are not a child of God. You will not go to heaven. And whose choice is that? It's our choice, right? It's our choice. We all get that choice. And when we surrender, God said, it will go well with you. I will bless you to a thousand generations. If you turn away from me, I will curse you to two to three generations. Right? Right? That's the component that we have of God's love versus his wrath. And that's why he lets us stay around so long. So total surrender is the beginning of death. Okay? When we walk with the Lord, we grow roots. Right? Think of yourself as a tree. We want to put out branches and, and look pretty. And we want our fruit to show. But what happens when the storms of this life come along and we don't have any roots? We're all going to be bunched up in the corner because we're all going to be, like, piled up there, right? Fruit and all, we're going to look pretty, but only for a couple more minutes. Because we're not going to make it, right? we got to drop our roots down. And how do we drop our roots? We do that by our surrender. And this is the process of sanctification, okay? When we get into God's Word and we pray to the Lord, that's how we do it. Which is actually point number two. So growing... Closer to God through his word and prayer allow us to go down deep with our roots. Well, Pastor Shane, I, I look at the Bible and I get intimidated by it. I'm not really sure where to start. Well, I would encourage you to start in the Gospels, okay? If you want, um, I, would, I usually say start with John. Sometimes John chapter 1 can get a little tricky at the beginning. But if you just work through the beginning of that and maybe ask a few questions to somebody that might know it a little bit, John is a great place to start. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. Okay, sometimes they even tell the same stories. They all end the same, right? But they should. They're all talking about the same person. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke—they talk about a lot of the parables, a lot of the teachings of Jesus. Where Jesus in in the book of John, the Gospel of John, talk a lot about his miracles and fulfilling prophecies. Okay, so if you look at the Jewish festivals and the major promises that go along with that. That's what the book of John is written for, is to answer those questions on those major festivals, okay? So getting to his word, know the character of Christ. And when we know his character, we can can emulate that in our life, then we can change that. So his word defines how we should live. There are no shortcuts here, folks. You can't just say, I'm a Christian. Now I'm just going to be righteous. That's right. I am who I am, and I'm righteous. And that's how it's going to be. Wouldn't it be easy if we could do that? So the path is simple, but I didn't say it was easy, did I? It is not easy to be righteous. It is is maybe self-righteous, it is, but it's not easy to be righteous with the Lord sometimes. And so we have to get to know him and in depth, the more in depth we get to know him, the more we can walk and be like him. So we need to get in God's word to know him on a personal level. Because I think God's heart is really revealed through his word. The next prayer shows that the, it shows the Lord how we are doing. I'll read my Bible, but I won't pray because I want to hear what God has to say, but I don't want to give my opinion to God. Well, that's not how a relationship works, right? A relationship goes both ways. Or maybe I will only pray, but I don't like to read my Bible. Well, what you're saying there is, God, I know what's best for me, and um, I don't need your word. It's kind of like you're telling your parent, yeah, I hear you, but I don't hear you, right? Right? because you're not really listening if you don't read his word. But if you don't pray back to him, then he doesn't know that you know his word. Are you walking the way you're supposed to? That's what prayer is all about. It's community. It It shows that we are surrendering. It shows that we have put God as our priority and not ourselves. And we can do that even more There's a good one. We can do it more better, more betterist. If we uh, um, put God first in our prayers, how do I do that? Read the Psalms. David does a wonderful job of putting God first in his prayers. Look at the Beatitudes. Look at how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. They put God first in each one of those things. There's some traditional prayers out there that, that are good role models, but you got to be careful that they're um, pointing to the Lord 100%, things like that, not to the church or the mission or things like that. And we'll get about that in point number four. So how are we blessing other believers and non-believers before ourselves? Because what do we know? Love requires what? Sacrificial action. Love requires sacrificial action. If we want to show God that we love him, we want to be able to serve other people. Number three, act on biblical principles, not human wisdom. So we need to ask ourselves, are the principles we're building on found in the Bible? That is something that we have in our household. There's a household rule. Well, can you back it up in the Bible? Because if you can't, then you may want to question that household rule. Right? We love everybody around here. Everybody, oh, they're, your kid's disobeying. Oh, but we're gonna love him. I can tell you that if you love without discipline, that's not really love. What you're doing is you're establishing who the Alpha is and it's your kid and not you. Right, You're establishing who's in charge. Love without discipline is not love. How do I know that? Because it's modeled for us in the Bible. God disciplines those he loves. It says that in his word. That's something. So have we need to ask about these household rules, these principles that we live by. Are they biblical? Are they walking along? Have they been influenced by the culture? you do you, I do me. That's a culture thing, right? Is that a principle that's seeped into your definitions at home? Because that's not right. God says, you do me, and I don't do you, because if I do you, nobody's going to be in heaven, right? That's what Jesus did. He came, you do me, and I'll do me. and we'll all get to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, right? Through Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's distorted through the anti-culture, and we get so legalistic in our rules that they become so hard to follow that nobody can follow them, that there's no room for grace. That's another principle that can be tricky as well. Number four, who gets the glory? Been harping on this a lot lately. Partly it's because I harp on it because of me. And partly because um, I think it's important. It's something that we do not talk about in our culture today. It's not something we talk about in the church very often today. So are your, as we go through life, life on mission can mean several different things, right? It can mean I'm doing this for God, right? I'm doing this for God. God. The problem can be that the mission can get the glory. Think about this. If we are a missionary and we are going over to, let's say, Indonesia to spread God's word in a primarily Muslim culture, right? It's 98% Muslim. If you take Christ over there, they are going to kill you. I have missionary friends over there right now. And they're celebrating their anniversary today, and they are over there right now. But if they go over with the thing that, hey, look at us, look what we're doing for God. We are out there spreading the gospel in a place where it doesn't, it's never been heard before, and we're we're going and we're teaching vacation Bible school, and we're doing this and that and the other thing, and look what we're doing for the Lord. Can you see how the mission has become the God and not God Himself? And so their task drivenness, in a sense, has become the, the God. And so what we want to do is we want to keep it, well, I'll talk about that at the end there. Another one is life over God. And it's about control, right? I want control. And so if I have control, then I get the glory. Or even better, I get what I want. God becomes a vending machine, and I can take whatever I need. Lord, I need an A on this test, and I didn't study. But in your your infinite wisdom, I know that you can bestow upon me what Miss Young has taught me in math. And I know it will seep in there, because you are an awesome God. Does that work out for anybody? Uh, no. No? Doesn't mean I haven't prayed that prayer when I was in uh, high school. I remember praying that prayer. I got today, and I was like, why you all in your textbooks? We, got a text, we have a test today, don't we? No, well. <laughs> At that point, it doesn't really matter. Why, why get worked up about it? Um. And I did okay, but that's because I paid attention earlier on in the week. But life over God, then there's life under God, right? What if God is this taskmaster that is up there telling us all the rules that you have to do this, you have to live this way, you have to do this. And if you don't live this, you're going to hell, right? Is there some truth in that? Yeah, there is some truth in that, but it also gets very legalistic. And the problem with following the rules to get to heaven is it becomes a workspace system where you have to do your part to get there, and that's not how it works at all. Not one bit. It is God's grace when we surrender that is our ticket into heaven. And so it is not that as well. And then there's life from God. Life from God. God wants me to have the glory. Certainly, if you look at this out here, obviously, God wouldn't put these people in this room unless he wanted me to be here. And so soon I justify and I set myself up on this pedestal, and, and look at me and all the wonderful things that God has done. If you could just follow my example, who becomes God in that? Ooh, that just makes me want to, well, <laughs> sorry, that's life from God. That's, that's disgusting, right? That's not who we are. It's, we want to do life with God. It takes a little bit of each one of those. Sometimes we do get things from God, but when we get them, we give him the glory, right? God does something amazing in our congregation. We don't say, look what we've done. We like, Look what God has done. When we make some a major accomplishment in our life, we don't say, look at that A I got. Look at that personal record I got. Look at that whatever I got. No, it's look what God has done through me. Praise God. There's a big difference between that, isn't there? And when we disobey and we can feel that pressure, that guilt coming on us and saying that God is coming down on us in condemnation, we can turn to him and say, Lord, forgive me. And he runs to us with his grace because he has relationship with us. Praise God for that. God is walking with us in faith so that, we, that he gets the glory and honor. Where is he asking you to go? Where is he asking each one of you to go? Let's continue on Genesis chapter 40. through so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dreams first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had the three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced a cluster of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice in the cup and then placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. Three branches present three days represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as the chief cupbearer. And please remember me when you do and please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you, mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place, for I was kidnapped from my homeland and the land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in prison, but I do not I did not do anything to deserve it. When the chief Baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation. He said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastry stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. Three baskets also represents three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will come along and peck away at your flesh. Wow, that's pretty intense, isn't it? Right, hey, you got a good interpretation. Here was my dream. Uh, You notice how Joseph doesn't hesitate on either one of those. He tells them the interpretation, and he knows it right away. That's one of the ways that you know that it's from the Lord. It's because it comes clearly. Does it always happen that way? No, Daniel had to pray about it, but he also had to give the dream and then the interpretation as well, right? That's in um, the book of Daniel as well. So God's news. We have two stories. We have two different outcomes. Anytime you see two different things in the Bible, especially in Genesis, it means there's going to be two different roads. There's going to be a path that's going to go well with you, one that's not going to go well with you. We see this with the cupbearer and the baker. The first is positive, the second not so much. And this brings us to this evaluation period of God's will. And I don't know if I put one, two, three in the bulletin on those, but you could actually put four, or five, six, and seven if you would want to as well. Yeah, I put one, two, and three. Because they go right along with this. This is more of the application, though. Number five, we must listen to and evaluate the counsel of godly believers. When we're trying to discern the will of God, it is important to have many counselors. That's what it says in the Proverbs. And even better is to find somebody that knows your situation, that is a third party, and is not biased. So somebody's going to tell you like it is. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a a boss. Maybe it is a family member—husband, wife, children. Children can kind of be blunt, but they um, sometimes are biased too. But maybe it's in a a different situation. Sometimes they can be unbiased. And when you tell the story, don't steer the conversation. Don't make yourself be a hero. Tell it like it is. Tell the good with the bad. Look at the Bible and how it does that. Every time you look at a Bible story, they tell the good things about King David, and they tell the bad things about King David. They tell the good things about King Saul, and they tell the bad things about King Saul. And likewise with many others. You look at the Apostle Paul. He had some rough things that they told about him. We look at Joseph in this story, and we see that he was a little bit self-righteous at the beginning, and God worked that out at the bottom of a cellar, right? The bottom of a cistern. Get your words right, right? Cistern cellar, I tell you what. So, don't try to steer that conversation in your favor, we listen and do our best to understand their counsel. Ask good questions of them. Allow them to ask good questions of you. You can understand that they're listening. You get counsel from, other, from another point of view, from someone that you can trust that might be able to get to the bottom of it. So if you've heard your side of the story, you see your side of the story, and maybe you go to the other person the other side of the story and ask them, why are we having this problem? And they'd be like, we don't have a problem. Oh, well, what do we have then? Well, I I just thought it was a little bit of a misunderstanding, but I thought we were pretty much on the same page other than this. Oh, well, that wasn't that bad. Sometimes it's a major problem. Well, we can't communicate. Well, tell me more about that. Where do you see where we're having struggles with communication? Well, maybe you've never listened before. <laughs> maybe that was an open door for them to be able to unwind a little bit. Sometimes maybe if you can't talk to them directly, maybe it's to talk to somebody that's close to them, a good friend of theirs. Maybe it's a good, maybe it's their mother, father, sister, brother, husband or wife. You say, how, how can I understand this person better so I can communicate more clearly? And that's one thing that you can do to help work through a situation. Number six, you, may, you must prayerfully evaluate the circumstances that God providentially brings into your life. Is this one from the people or is this one from the Lord? Am I getting the glory to build me up because they're trying to set me up? fall. Am I qualified for this position? Many times we are not qualified, but God doesn't always call the qualified, right? He qualifies the call. And so when we get to a situation that I could go right or left, sometimes those right or left decisions in our lives are both good decisions. But there's one that God has maybe a a little bit more particular bent toward, and that's where we're trying to walk forward. That's why it's wise to have many counselors to prayerfully evaluate the circumstances. This is going to take me down this road. This is what I can do. I can make a list of the positives and the negatives, and I can kind of see where my heart is leaning from that list right away. So... Is this made from man, or, or is this God-made, or is it a little bit of both? If it's a little bit of both, can I give glory to God through this? Or the other way to look at this, instead of saying, is it from God and from, or from people, is this one for the people, or is this one for the Lord? Am I receiving the credit or glory that I am able to give to God? If I were to take this position, I'm I going to be too tempted to take the glory from that position. Where this one over here is much more humble. And I would definitely be building more character in this one. But it would be much more difficult. How do I learn how to give God the credit? Well, I would say when you can give credit from the little things back to the Lord, it's much easier to give credit in the big things, right? How can you turn your compliments into a blessing to the Lord? Somebody compliments you on how you look, how you've done as a mother today. You're such a wonderful mother. God has blessed me beyond measure with patience Because of my youngest daughter. I don't know. (laughs) Younger daughters, you're all, you're all, it is, it's you, it is. I don't know. I'm just being silly, right? But we can give God the credit in that. I've had some trials, I've had my place where I've been, and I need to uh, walk through that. So, how do I learn how to do this? When someone praises you, In the small things, you give that to the Lord. You give that praise to the Lord. You give that compliment to the Lord. And it says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large things. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you will not be honest with the greater responsibilities. You ever feel like that? Like, oh, is this one... How, how am I supposed to, to to give this? If I just I could just take this one here and then I could give this one over here, it doesn't really matter. Well, it does matter because if you're not faithful in that little decision there, and what's it going to hurt if you error on the on the side of giving it away opposed to receiving it? it it's not right. It's kind of like when you're dividing that cookie with your brother or sister, right? You divide, but they get to pick. And if you keep that principle in your life, it will always help you to keep your integrity intact. Because if you're going to divide that they get to pick next, you're going to make sure it's equal. Or you're going to give them the portion that they deserve. Maybe they deserve the larger portion. And so you cut, cut it unequal knowing that they'll take the larger portion. When you really get a blessing of a sibling, you have to cut it equal because you know if you cut it unequal, they're going to give you the larger one. And now you can both bless each other by um, making sure it's equal and making sure each, everybody gets their, um, what they deserve, right? And their fair share in a sense. Number seven. After prayerfully following all the above, so all of the commands you see in the the bulletin above that, independence on God, you must follow your own sound judgment, conscience, convictions, submitting to the consequences. That's where Joseph finds himself, folks. After all this, he finds himself in jail, unjustly surrendered to God. Doesn't it's not a guarantee that you're gonna uh, life's gonna be all sunshines and rainbows, right? It just doesn't. But are you comfortable with the decision that was made? Is your integrity? remaining intact. Basically, another way to say this is, are you going to be able to sleep tonight because of the decision you made? Is your relationship with the Lord going to suffer or is it going to grow in depth? Are you going to put some roots down? I'm going to depend on him instead of me. Will this change the person you are for the better or for the worse? I usually put myself first, but I'm going to put the Lord first in this one. I'm going to trust and obey him and see what he has for me. And we're going to find out what happens. Will it be a pleasing aroma to the Lord? I think about in Revelation, right, when God has the incense in front of him. What we know is in the incense. It's our prayers. Our prayers given up to the Lord, are there in front of him. He thinks those are pleasing aroma when they're given correctly. God is is walking with us in faith so that he gets the honor and glory. Where is he asking you to go? Let's finish the chapter off, verses 20 through 23. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and his chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the cup, chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand, Joseph, or hand Pharaoh his cup. But the Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Wow. He could not sing the Billy Ray Cyrus song, I Got Friends in Low Places because, man, he don't got no friends. (laughs) Right? He forgot him. Right? That's just, that's ridiculous. Every time I read that, my jaw drops every time. I'm like, seriously, dude? I'm here for two more years because of your bad memory. I tell you what. Sorry. Garth Brooks. (laughs) Obviously, I'm not a, I'm not a, Country singer. I just knew that was Billy's one t- one hit wonder was right about that time, too. I thought that was it. Guess I was wrong. Um God's timing. God's timing. Joseph did all the right steps. Joseph was faithful. He talked to the cupbearer. He was unjustly accused. He pleased. He asked, please talk to the Pharaoh so I can get out of here. I can go home. I don't want anything else. I just want to go home. I want to see my family again. He discerned the dreams correctly, without hesitation, I might add. And he did his part. But the chief cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. You think God knew that? Absolutely. God knew that. God was still growing Joseph. God was still working on his integrity. God was developing a man who could lead a nation. In prison, he's developing him. What a weird stomping grounds to school you on this. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Who can understand the Lord? Who can understand his timing? Certainly Joseph didn't. Many times I don't. But I trust and obey, for there's no other way But to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. It's a song, hymn, called Trust and Obey. God definitely has a timetable in all this. That we do know. God clearly has a plan. Yet God neither reveals the plan nor the timing to Joseph. He says, I just want you to trust and obey. Two years you're going to have to trust and obey, but you're going to have to trust and obey me in a major way for seven years as the crops come in, and then another seven years when the crops don't produce at all. Then you're going to know what it means to trust, and if you don't learn it in these two years, you're not going to be able to do it in those seven. So do I have a process? Absolutely. I'm going to close with this story. Um, Back in 1984, wow, 1984, can you believe this? This was written in the bulletin, and it's Psalms chapter 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry, he lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on the rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, who does not look at the proud, to those who turn to aside to the false gods. Many... Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare to you. you were I to speak and to tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, by my, but my ears have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not require. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. My grandma was a second grade teacher for at least 30 years. She retired as a teacher. She had osteoporosis, and she went from a woman who was nearly six foot tall to a woman who was about five foot tall in constant chronic pain. But you would never know that from her because she would never, ever let her grandkids know that she was in pain. She was a very woman filled with peace, She was a great listener. She was stronger spiritually and emotionally than this pastor, and I still work on being that strong, right? She set a great example for me in that. And as I walk and hear this, and I see this psalm, I also know that this woman was frail, right? And so it wasn't easy for her to walk in faith, but she did walk well. She just faced her fears and walked in courage toward it. I never, ever recognized it until maybe the last year of her life. I didn't see that. Um, And I matured finally enough So this psalm was one of her favorites. It's one of my favorites as well. And it says, here I am. I desire to do your will. Well, what is somebody's will or the will for somebody who's in their 80s, has osteoporosis and can't do much, and it's starting to feel like a drain on resources? Well, I told my grandma that God chooses life. All the time. Not just half the time. So if he's got you in this earth, then he chooses to have you alive. And he chooses you to be here for somebody, for someone. And sometimes that person is me. Because I know I have you praying for me and watching out for me on my behalf. So I can do the Lord's work and I can give God the praise in my life and I covet those prayers and I appreciate that so much. She came back in 1984 with this response to Psalm chapter 40. Thy will, Lord? Did I hear right? Your will? Yes. That's what I thought you said. Well, now, I don't know. I'll pray about it. Maybe next month... When I'm not so busy. Thy will, O Lord? Why, why not ask one of the deacons or the elders? You know, one of them would be more able. Well, maybe what I meant is more willing. Thy will, Lord? Yes, I see what you mean. I should be willing. Can I let you know? Tell you what, I'll pray about it. Lord, I know your answer to that prayer. Forgive me. And Lord, I will delight. With delight, I will do your will. I was seven, six and a half when she wrote that. That is what she lived by. That is an example that I got to follow, that I got to see. I got to live with her um. For about seven years, when I was after her, her husband passed away, my grandpa John, and then I would come in all worked up, and I would go in and I would just, and we call it in our household heart garbage. I'd spew my heart garbage, and she would listen. Sometimes she would have answers. Sometimes she wouldn't. But man, when she she talked, she was one of those people you got to listen to. She was one of the ways that I knew what the Lord was saying to me when it came to become a pastor and making decisions the next step in my life and um, was a wonderful woman. So God is working in each of us in faith so that he gets the honor and the glory like he was after Gene Sawyer to do his will. Where is he asking you to go in his will? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all the examples that we have. We thank you for the grandmas and the mothers that we have. We thank you uh, that you have given them to us and allowed uh, many of them to be mothers themselves. Lord, we thank you for the example each one of them sets in making disciples in each one of our lives and we pray that if they don't know the lord that you would work on them and continue to mold their hearts into your uh, likeness we pray that you would allow you to do that in our lives so that we would have the courage to share that with them heavenly father we thank you for giving us each a disciple making way of life in christ jesus As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our paths, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our ways to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into a follower of Jesus who loves you who loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.